0: Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, It's podcast time again. Uh, As always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is
1: Not About Us.
0: All right, we're back with another podcast. Now... Today, I'd like to go back, we have given the Feast of the Lord before, and I've mentioned this topic before. We're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant today and some of the things surrounding that. But before we get started uh, talking about this topic, Brad, could you start us off with a prayer and and introduce us into the podcast today?
1: Absolutely. Yahweh. Yahweh our wonderful, awesome God. We want to bring you glory today with this topic on the Ark of the Covenant. But for us to fully understand what we're talking about, we got to know, and it's best to go right to you, right to the source. So will you come in? Will you help guide this conversation? Will you help lead us to those hidden gems of truth that we love so much? As always, God, we love you. We cherish you, and we just want to give you honor and glory with this. Amen.
0: Oh, Amen. Thank you for that. So I want to warn you guys, getting into this, I, I, I'm getting, first of all, uh, I want to give credit where credit's due. I'm, I'm pulling most of my information from a couple of sources. One is Ron Wyatt, a man named Ron Wyatt. Now, he died in 1999. But he was an amateur archaeologist who is actually the one who discovered the Ark of the Covenant. So I'm going to be sharing a little bit about his story. Not too much, but uh, if you want to, you can go to a couple of sites, either wyattmuseum.com or ronwyatt.com. Those are his official sites. And Wyatt, just so you know, is spelled W-Y-A-T-T. And another source of information uh, that I'm going to be leaning on is Michael Rood, and we've mentioned him before. So now if you want to check out him and, and get you know, this directly from him, uh, you can go to aroodawakening.tv. Uh, you can also just Google uh, Great Secret of Solomon's Temple, and there's several locations there's there's several videos out there just just to check this out it's amazing and I'm not exactly sure how much I'm gonna be telling you today I kind of because I'm a storyteller I kind of go (laughs) off on tangents and and just I'd love to tell the whole story but pretty much if you go to those sites that I just told you you can get the full story from the people that I mean directly from the source and
1: if I can just add one more thing about that um, recently Michael Rood and Ron Wyatt's family had a very interesting conversation about the other ark in the Bible, yes. Noah's Ark, and how they believe they may have found the actual resting place of Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can search that into Google as well and find some interesting things about that.
0: Oh yes, thank you. That Absolutely. Uh, check it out. Uh, so like I said, today I'm, I, I kind of wrote down highlighted notes. I might just jump off those notes and dig deeper if I feel like it. But uh, like I said, the, go listen to Ron Wyatt himself. Uh, tell the story from recorded uh, articles and, and, and videos uh, from years past. You can go uh, to Michael Rood's website, get it directly from him. Uh, they have the whole thing in, in great detail. But uh, I'm going to go over a little bit, because this, it's so amazing uh, what has happened with this. Now, I, I'm sure most people know what the Ark of the Covenant is. If you haven't, go see Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, find out that it was actually Indiana Jones who found the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we we know that is... Uh, a docudrama, right, Brad? That was that was all based on real life. It
1: better be or my whole childhood is going to be ruined.
0: <laughs> but, um, no, for those of you who don't know, Ron Wyatt actually did find the Ark of the Covenant, and Israel has it right now. And on a side note, I didn't write this down in my notes for today, but uh, as I'm thinking about this, I do want to acknowledge that it was years ago. Uh, I About 25 years ago, I'm thinking, that Israel actually officially acknowledged that they had it. And what stunned me was the fact that this acknowledgement came and went, and nobody cared. I was like, "What? Well, this is amazing. I remember being in my apartment. Uh, it was me and my wife. My son hadn't been born yet, so that's why I know he's going on 20. He's going to be 20 in, in just a few weeks now. Uh, and and I should say, as always, I am recording this. What is the date, Brad? The Twenty is September 25th, September 25th. Thank you. Uh, so, so my, my son wasn't born yet. So that's what I'm saying. It was about, I think it was about 25 years ago that I heard this, but I'm, I'm doing laundry and I've got CNN on and I'm not a news person. I don't know why I had it on. I, I just, I felt like it. And they said right there, it was like a A 30-second little blurb, they just came out and said, you know, the nation of Israel has officially announced that it uh has the Ark of the Covenant in its possession, you know, yada yada yada. And I'm and I just stopped everything. I'm like, what? Because I knew the story that Ron Wyatt gave that I'm about to share with you, and I knew they had it, but they were not officially acknowledging it for several reasons. And when they officially acknowledged it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is huge, this is massive. And CNN just kind of threw that out there and just kept going. And I'm like, well, that can't be all there is. So I waited till the next hour for the news cycle, just thinking, okay, this has to be like they got sudden information. They're not really prepared to deal with it yet. They're going to give more, you know, because the news basically at the time, I don't know if they still do they basically every hour, it just kind of circulated the same news stories over and over at the time. So I was like waiting for it to come back. And then the second hour came by and it repeated all the other news stories that they gave. But this time they didn't even mention the Ark of the Covenant. I was like, what is going on? I couldn't believe that they weren't, you know, just, you know, giving this like a whole segment to itself. This was huge. I couldn't believe they just kind of blurb, there it is, and and they move on. Uh, that stunned me at that time. It still floors me to this day that they did that. I, I don't know why, uh, but anyway, and I remember
1: when you told me this story, and at first I was like, really? like I even I was having a hard time believing that that wouldn't be such big, huge news that it yeah, it'd be a a, a feature. But then, in my own lifetime now in, in seeing these things that I'm interested in, um, they do. They will quickly archaeologists have discovered something amazing and then it gets put on the back burner. And I think it's all just part of, we've talked about this plenty of times, but I think it's all just part of that deception. Mm -hmm. Because if any of this stuff is proven to be accurate and true, like the Bible says, that gives credit to the Bible and Mm -hmm. the enemy doesn't want that. So I think all of this just has, I think that's all part of it. But yeah, it sometimes surprises me. I'll see archaeologists or scientists have discovered something that leads to God and then it's not mentioned again.
0: Yeah, never again. It's like, It's almost like I'm, I'm, I think one of the things that amazes me is like, okay, one side or the other, this is either huge or don't talk about it at all and just bury it. Why? What's wrong with you? I almost think the fact that they give it 30 seconds and move on is in uh, in and of itself a psychological ploy to kind of say, this has no importance. We're going to mention it. We're going to throw it out there. So you can't say that we're hiding it, but it has no importance. And and that kind of tells their listeners, this is nothing. Move on. Right. So anyway, another thing I want to point out real quick is that both Ron Wyatt and Michael Roode, as well as everyone else in the world, I just don't know why I'm saying this, I suppose, but have their detractors. If you look them up, you can find people who say they're liars, they're horrible people. I remember years ago when um, a friend of mine, actually Cooney, who was on one of our conversation pieces the other day, uh, she's been a guest on this show. I feel weird saying show. I shouldn't say show. This <laughs> podcast shows just easier to say. Sorry. Uh she's been a guest here. She was researching for a, a church that we were both attending at the time. They were having a weekly series on, you know, highlighting certain people in their lives and then, you know, the we would give presentations to the rest of the congregation about them. She was doing Billy Graham. And I remember with her Uh, watching as she was researching different things and she found an entire site, a website at the time devoted to hating Billy Graham by different pastors and just talking about how he's actually an uh, uh, agent of the enemy and, and all sorts of things talking about how horrible Billy Graham is. So, I mean, you can find something from somebody hating everybody. So I I suppose I shouldn't even be saying it. I only point it out because for my part, I'm gonna say that Ron Wyatt is not a perfect person. Michael Rood is not a perfect person. I'm not claiming they're the Messiah and that they're all right and everything that they say should be believed. But personally, from my searching the evidence, uh, I trust them on these points at least that I'm about to share with you here today. Uh, I I don't claim that Brad and I are perfect in everything we say, but I'm honestly trying to help, you know, and, and, you know, and that's the way I see them too.
1: Something that I always say is I'm just trying to do the best I can with the information that I have. Exactly. You know, so I, the information I have could be faulty and if that's true, then that's something I need to look at, but... Uh, as we've discussed before, if you're ever concerned that the information you have is faulty, the best source, of course, is always to take it
0: to God and yes. and, and see what his word says about it. But anyway. All right. So now, all of that to introduce, I'm going to get into Ron Wyatt first and his discovery of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Ron Wyatt, as I said before, he died in August 4th, 1999. So all of this happened... I. I don't have exact dates as to when he found it. Maybe you can go to his sites and find exact dates, but I got my information from Ron Wyatt himself originally because uh, once he found it, he would go around to places and tell his story. So I do have firsthand knowledge of this from, at least I should say, I have knowledge from him directly, Uh, but he was a professional anesthesiologist and an amateur archaeologist. So he would just go out on his vacation time and go find these things. And and his story, I'm not going to go into all the discoveries he's made, but he, as Brad referred to earlier, he believed that he had found the site of Noah's Ark. Uh, He's also found and has video proof of most of these He's found the unhewn stones that the Israelites created after crossing the Red Sea. He has found the exact place where they did cross the Red Sea. And and they found archeological proof in the Red Sea of the the chariot pieces. And and there's more to it than that. Uh, Again, go to his site, check it out for yourself. You can even see the video uh, that they have of them diving underwater and finding these things. But And there's more, the location of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, a lot about this. But today, we're specifically going to talk about his discovery of the Ark of the Covenant. And again, very briefly, it's such a cool story. Uh, Go check it out for yourself. But now, a little bit of history before we get into these things. God instructed Abraham to take Isaac to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him there. Uh, This is... Uh, story from the Bible, I hope you all know, but if you don't, what happened is he took Isaac up with servants. The servants stopped at the lower peak uh, of Mount Moriah, while Isaac, with the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders, and Abraham, they climbed up to the higher peak. And this is when Isaac asked his father, Abraham, where is the sacrifice? You know, we brought the wood, where's the sacrifice itself? And Abraham responded that God will provide himself a lamb. And then he, he puts the wood down, he ties his son, he lays him on the altar and he raises the knife to sacrifice his own son. The angel stops Abraham from, sacrifices his own, from sacrificing his own son and tells Abraham that because... He did this, God now knows Abraham will not keep anything from him, even his own son. And then they see a ram, uh, a male lamb of the first year, was provided as a substitute. He was caught in the thickets, and, and they were able to sacrifice that ram to God on that day. Now years later, Jerusalem is built, And the Temple Mount is built on the lower peak where the servants are left behind. Jerusalem's northern city wall was built on the higher peak. uh, And it was built right at the area where Abraham had set up the altar to sacrifice Isaac. Now, the wall that they built to protect Jerusalem was only 10 to 12 feet tall. So that's not much of a threat against enemy invaders. I don't know about you, Brad, but... uh, you're thinking, a oh, 10-foot wall, it's like, oh, okay, it's a minor obstacle, I suppose, for an invading army. But, you know, you're thinking, why Why only 10 feet tall?
1: Well, I don't know. I'm only six. If I look at a 10-foot tall wall, that looks like a lot of work to get over that thing. So, no. <laughs> oh, I suppose you're right, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, that's not going to do much at all. But, no, the uh, the rock that was used to build that wall was quarried out right beside the wall, effectively making the wall itself... 60 feet tall, and making it more effective because essentially, you know, when you have a a wall standing straight up, uh, you know, a lot of armies, what they'll try to do is try to penetrate the wall, dig through it. Well, if you're going to dig through that, you're just going to dig straight into more rock because the wall just just goes nowhere. You know, the the actual wall is way high up on that ledge. So this was a, a pretty good idea to build it this way, but the site of that quarried rock that was where Abraham was prepared to sacrifice Isaac, and they dug all that out. So it came to be known as Solomon's Quarry, and Solomon's Quarry covered, uh, referred to the ground near the wall where they quarried the rock out, as well as there were a series of tunnels underground from which they also quarried the rock that they needed. Now, years later, Solomon builds the temple that David was not allowed to build by God because he was a man of war. He, David wanted to build a house for God. God told him, no, your son's going to do this. And, and that's what Solomon did. He builds uh, the house of God. He builds Solomon's temple, as it came to be known. And out front of that temple, he put two pillars. One, he names, when we look at it in the English, it looks like Jachin, J a c i c h i n but in the Hebrew, it's actually pronounced Ya'kin, and the other pillar he names Boaz. 500 years after Solomon, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, takes Jerusalem. He sacks the city, and he takes captives back to Babylon, leaving the city destroyed. Then, years later, the Romans have possession of Jerusalem. Solomon's quarry became the place where they crucified so many Jews that some of them had to wait for a week or more for a cross to be even become available to them. They, were, they had more people to kill than they had crosses, so they would put someone on a cross, wait for that person to die, bring them down, and put someone else on the same cross. This is why Solomon's quarry became known as the Place of the Skull. This was the site where the Romans would eventually crucify Yeshua. Uh, the site is not on a hill far away, the way you think of it as, uh, as the song goes, in the way you would think about it like a, a hill to sled down or like a small hill. Okay, let's put him up on that little hill right there so everyone can see him, that kind of thing. Uh, no, it was on a major road. This, this place, uh, Solomon's Quarry, had become a major highway. And uh, it was where everybody walked. They put it here so everyone walking by would see these people. Uh, It was a statement that they were making. However, the entire area, as we said before, is on Mount Moriah, so it is on a hill. Not, Not a small hill over there, the way you think about it, but the entire area is on a hill, or a mountain, essentially. So... Uh, people were crucified on the road where everyone passing could see them. Then Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and everything was broken down. Suleiman the Magnificent would rebuild the wall years later, but the debris from the original wall and the fill that happened from the destruction, they have created a new road. The road where Yeshua was actually crucified is at to on this day, at this time, 25 to 30 feet below where you and I would actually walk if we were there today. So that's just some history about what's going on. It's going to come into play as you see what happens here. Now, let's talk about the discovery of the ark. Now, Brad, you know this story, right? Oh, pretty well, yes. Yeah. And and again, I'm telling you, go to the sources, please. It is a cool story. But Ron Wyatt, in brief, he's swimming in Jerusalem, and he's on a break. And while he's swimming, he's out in the sea, and he stubs his toe on something. And that kills me to this day. He stubbed his toe on an ancient burial pot. And the thing about it, this was being looked for just a few hundred yards away by by Israel's archaeologists, by their their digging teams, they're looking for these things. These are the burial pots of kings, and Ron Wyatt just stubs his toe on it, and and he goes over and he tells them, "Hey, look what I found!" And they're, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe it!" And they're thanking him, and though, this is wonderful. And they go and they check it out, and they found them. They found what they were looking for, and so he's talking to the head of this 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 guy. He's 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 talking to the head of the Department of Antiquities and about this. And they just strike up a conversation. They're walking through Jerusalem and, and, and talking. And while they walk, Ron Wyatt just lifts up his left hand to point. And he points in one direction, and he says that the Ark of the Covenant can be found there in Jeremiah's grotto. And this guy is elated, and he's this is amazing. The Ark of the Covenant, you've, you've got to help us find it. And he tells him, you know, we've got to begin excavation immediately. But not only is Ron's vacation almost up, and he doesn't have any more time to spend searching for the Ark of the Covenant, but he doesn't believe the words that came out of his own mouth. You know, the guy is like, what well, you just said. I know what I said, but I don't know why I said it, you know he said it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when the words came out of his mouth, he's like, why did I say that? That's not true. The Ark couldn't be in Jerusalem. That doesn't make any sense. And so he, as he's talking to this guy, he says, all right, look, this is what I'm gonna do. I gotta go home, but I'll start researching this. If I find out that there's any possible validity to what I just said, I'll come back and we'll discuss it at that time. And he does. He goes home and he researches it and... He discovers that it actually is possible and it, it might make sense. Now, years pass, and the person that he spoke with isn't in the Department of Antiquities anymore. Things change on Israel's side. Things go on. There's there's more to the story than that. So it doesn't just he doesn't just turn around and come back. Years go by and he comes back much later. And he is able to search for the Ark of the Covenant. And they are digging for it. Again, skipping a lot of the stories to how he gets here. But they're digging straight down where they think it might be. And they reach the place where Jesus walked. They reach the place of the skull. And they find many cross plugs. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the the holes for the crosses were pre-dug. So they could just, you know, put the crosses right in them. And... Well, when there were no crosses in them, like I said, this is a major highway. They didn't want people breaking their legs or animals falling into these holes. So they would put plugs in. They would put you know, large pieces of stone or what have you to fill these holes so people could walk over them without hurting themselves. And they found those cross plugs. They also found several of the nails that they would have used to, uh, to crucify people and other Roman-era artifacts, and they decided they shouldn't keep digging straight down. It was still a long way to go. So what they did is they went to the side of the mountain, and they dug in sideways. And then they found a large cavern with many branches, and they found the tunnels. They found Solomon's Quarry, the underground part. And they found a lot of interesting artifacts there, too, but they weren't finding the ark. So one of his sons, because uh, he, he brought his, his adult sons with him on a lot of these, one of his sons goes over to him and says, well, when we hit a stumbling block like this, you know, you usually go off and pray and God guides you to where we should be going. They say, why don't you go do that? And Ron's response was, well, I have. And he goes, and? he says, well, we should, said we should dig that direction. And he points towards this wall. He goes, well, so let's do it. And he's like, but we can't. That doesn't make any sense. Now, what you got to understand is they were on a fault line. Uh, So there there is a pretty serious fault line in that area. And the wall he was referring to, we need to dig that way, was on the fault line. So, I mean, if you can imagine it, think of a cavern being on this fault line, a large cave or something. And then the fault line shifts uh, because there's an earthquake or something. And the cavern splits in two. So if you're on one side of the cavern, and, and you're looking at the wall on the other side of you, it doesn't lead to the other part of the cavern. It leads to nothing but solid rock. That's what he's thinking. That doesn't make any sense. Why would we go that direction? That's the other side of the fault line. It would lead to nothing. But he said God led him there, so they did. And after uh, digging through a bit, they found more caverns. They They found more areas.
1: Oh. And... Real quick, a lot of uh, testimonies from Juan Wyatt are just this kind of the same thing. He he thought, no, that can't be right, but he still went where the voice of God was telling him to go. Yeah. And I think that's why he was the one that got to find a lot of these things, is because he truly was listening to the Spirit, even when it, even when it did not make any sense to him, or it went
0: mm-hmm. against any logic that he had. But anyway, continue. No, no, I... Th- Thank you for bringing that up because it, it's exactly right. Uh, he just said, "All right, God, I'm going to trust you," and and went and and there it was uh, on a lot of other stories, you know, not just this one. But okay, I'm going to cut more of this discovery process out. Essentially, he finds the ark, and he finds the ark in in a small cavern and it was an ingenious way they hid it essentially they hid the ark in there with false walls on either side so if an invading army or someone found these tunnels they would come to this wall and they would say oh apparently this is where they stopped digging and they'd turn around because if you just took the ark and hid it under a bunch of stones people are going well there's a giant pile of stones let's just pull them aside obviously someone's trying to hide something so they find the ark again. There's a lot more to this story. Go check it out for yourself. But I wanna, I wanna mention one specific thing that was really just cool. He finds a gooey substance coming from a crack in the ceiling, and remember, this is a fault line. So this is he essentially finds the fault crack uh, in the ceiling going, you know, would have gone in olden times, it would have gone all the way to the surface, but it's been covered over on the top through years of dirt and debris and other stuff on top. There's this gooey substance just lining this this crack in the surface, and it has landed exactly on the mercy seat of the ark. Not just on the mercy seat, but on the right-hand side of God, on the mercy seat that the the priests of old were not allowed to put any animal blood on. He scoops up some of that substance and he brings it to the scientists who are assisting in the dig and he asks them to analyze it. And the results were stunning. It was human blood, but it had two very serious differences with regular human blood. Now humans have 23 pairs of human chromosomes. They have Pairs because the 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 female gives 23 chromosomes, the male gives 23 chromosomes, and these line up to form you uh, and every one of us. And it had the 23 pairs of chromosomes on the female side. On the male side, it only had one, and this was of course impossible. You know, how did this happen? And the second oddity about the blood is that it was still alive. Now, I want I want you to understand, I can't explain it any further than that. If you go to Ron Wyatt's site, he might explain it better than that. I forget now. I haven't been there in a while. But when I was listening to him live, he did give a greater explanation. Now, you have to remember, he is a professional anesthesiologist he has a medical degree he knows a lot more about this than i do the scientists working with him know a lot more about it than i do he he actually explained it i have no idea i i don't remember to this day i was again this was like 25 30 years ago that i heard this i don't remember all the big words he used
1: yeah but when you listen to his explanation it does make perfect sense even if you're not Scientifically mm-hmm. inclined like I am
0: Right <laughs> Another little piece of the story I want to tell you about Because the the Jewish scientists that were helping him You know they were orthodox Jews uh, They were not messianic And they're, they're like Coming into him what, what is this? What is this that you've given us? And he goes first you told me there was two things wrong with it Tell me what they were And they told him the two things I just told you That they had discovered about it And he looks at them And he says that is the blood of your fallen Messiah. And he said one of them hit the ground in the fetal position and just started squealing and the other started to tear his hair out of his head. And uh, I remember him telling this live, you know, and he said, which I thought was a a very appropriate reaction (laughs) for for what they had just discovered, conclusive scientific proof of the Messiah. And um, that... That's always amazed me. Now, Matthew 27, 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And this is at the death of the Messiah. From the top to the bottom. And here's the part I have underlined right here. And the earth did quake, and the rocks were torn. And as I mentioned before, there is a fault line right where Yeshua was crucified. Matthew's version identifies that the ground split when Yeshua died now where the spear pierced his side blood and water flowed and that fell through the crack in the earth went down that fault line and landed right on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant how awesome is that how perfect is Yahweh God to align all of this up
1: I have heard this so many times, and once again, we're talking about it, and Scott, you be the witness. I am witnessing. I've got my hair standing up on my arm. I've got the goosebumps. Yeah. It just, and it's so true. God is so perfect. Of course it happened this way. Yeah. And
0: they didn't even know, while it was happening, Mm -hmm. that it was happening. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Abraham offers Isaac to God and utters the prophetic statement god will provide himself a lamb now what we generally see is oh god will provide himself a lamb you know like god will provide a lamb of his own power but what we don't see in that statement is god will provide himself comma a lamb god abraham had covenant with god and now covenant is is complete unification what's yours is mine what's mine is yours when abraham honors that covenant even to the point of being able to give his own son and god's response was all right i know now you will provide you you will not withhold anything from me then god is there therefore bound to do likewise when abraham honored it with his own son God honored the covenant with his. The place where Abraham was gonna offer Isaac, that was dug out beneath, directly beneath that location is where Jesus was crucified for our sins. And directly beneath Jesus, hidden in the earth, is the Ark of the Covenant, where Jesus' blood fell through the earth after the soldiers pierced his side. It lands on the Ark in the spot that was reserved for him. The priests were told do not put any animal blood on the right side of the ark they didn't know why they just knew that's what god commanded them that spot was reserved for jesus think about that abraham and isaac man trying to seek god the ark of the covenant god's throne on earth and what bridges that literally is jesus christ physically he's literally between the two guys I want one of the reasons I want to share this story is because we got to understand how precisely and intimately perfect God is when you see something that just doesn't kind of just doesn't quite make sense that's probably because God's not involved in it uh, or it's possible that we just don't see it just like 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 uh, brad said earlier Jesus was being crucified his blood's pouring out and the people didn't know that the ark was down there they didn't know that this the perfect alignment of what was going on even while it was happening sometimes we miss it and that's one thing but there's a lot of things that the just this precision this this incredible precision and and all of this took place over thousands of years with abraham and isaac uh, with the ark being hidden and then with Jesus, you know, years later being crucified, it was all aligned by God so precisely and so incredibly. Guys, when I'm looking at scripture, when I'm digging into secrets and truths, I'm looking for that precision. And if I'm not finding it, that I'm thinking, this is not God, you know, uh, we've, we've gotta be looking at these stories with, with those kind of eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So now how did the ark get there? Okay, the ark was there underneath Jesus. How did it get there in the first place? And the amazing thing about this story is it was all there. The secrets were right there in the Bible and we didn't see it. Or, or we saw it and we went, I have no idea what that means. But um, I'm gonna start with 1 Kings 3.1. Now, remember, I'm reading from the Hebraic Roots version, so it might sound a little different from your King James version. I'll try to translate if uh, uh, in places where I need to. And Shlomo, and that's the Hebrew word for Solomon, and Shlomo became allied to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marriage, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of Yahweh and the house of Yerushalayim roundabout. And Yerushalayim is just Jerusalem. So we see Solomon marries into Egyptian royalty so he can have access to the secrets of Egyptian technology that can only be obtained by marrying into the family. And it says here, he marries in, until he had made an end of building his own house in the house of Yahweh. So we see the purpose of Solomon doing this. He's, he's building Solomon's temple, as well as his own temple, his own house. First Kings seven, 13 through 16. And, and uh, as I'm doing this, Brad, Feel free to jump in whenever something you're like, oh, and don't forget this, because I, I said before, I'm skipping around. Uh, uh, I'm not telling every piece of the story. So if you think I missed a piece that you find vital, jump in. And King Shlomo sent and fetched Hiram out of Zor. Now, I, I believe the King James says Hiram of Tyre. Uh, again, uh, the Hebrew word is T-Z-O-R, Zor. He was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, And his father was a man of Zor, a worker in brass, and he was filled with the wisdom and understanding and skill to work all works of brass. And he came to King Shlomo and wrought all his work. Thus he fashioned the two pillars of brass of 18 cubits high each. And the line of 12 cubits did compass it round about, compass it about, sorry, and so the other pillar. And he made capitals of molten brass to set upon the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits.
1: Very important right there, Mm -hmm. if you're listening, five cubits.
0: So these pillars just stood out in front of the temple. They didn't support anything. They just sat there with these giant capitals of brass on top of them. And they're hollow tubes. Remember that. They're hollow tubes with these massive brass capitals upon them. So how are these hollow tubes holding that immense weight up? And we see here, right there in 1 Kings 7, 13 through 16, they're hollow tubes. This is, these are the massive capitals upon them. Uh, we know something's up. 1 Kings seven twenty one. And he set up the pillars at the porch of the temple, and he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof, uh, again, English it looks like it should be Jachin, but in Hebrew it's pronounced Ya'kin. And he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. Now, Ya'kin uh, is Strong's Concordance number 3199, and it means will establish. And it comes from a root meaning to be set up, fixed, or established. Boaz, now this is Strong's Concordance number 1162. And, and in Strong's Concordance, they say it's an unused root of an uncertain meaning. Now, I looked this up further, and I found other places that, uh, such as BehindTheName.com, and they all claim that it re- it essentially comes from... And it means the strength that is within him. Now, you can research this word on your own and and find it. I'm trying to skip through. Essentially, what I've discovered is Boaz means strength, power. 500 years go by. Jeremiah 52, 4b. So the last part of the verse says, Nebuchadnezzar, we translate Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bavel, that's Babylon, came, he and all his army against Yerushalayim and encamped against it, and they built forts against it round about. So we see this is a long siege that's going on. He builds forts. This doesn't just, they don't just put them up instantaneously. This is a long siege happening. 2 Kings 25.10, and all the army of the Chaldean that were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Yerushalayim round about. So we see that Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, was under siege for some time before they finally fell to Babylon. So people inside Jerusalem have a long time figuring out what's going on and, and taking action and doing, doing what they can. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, he wants the Ark of the Covenant. It is a prize he is seeking, but nothing in Scripture or in history uh, claims that he got it. Now, we see he did get all sorts of items. The Bible has lists a lot of things he got, including all vessels of brass, but he does not get any gold out of the temple. 2 Kings twenty five seventeen, The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. And a capital of brass was upon it, and the height of the capital was three cubits. What? Three cubits? What happened? <laughs> what did happen? First Kings 7.16. What What did it say again, Brad? How, how tall were the, the, the capitals of brass? Uh, they were five. Five cubits high. So right now it says that they're three cubits high. What happened to these massive capitals of brass on top of pillars 18 cubits high that suddenly two full cubits disappeared.
1: There, there has to be some sort of mistake yeah. here, Scott.
0: <laughs> well, someone obviously climbed up and just sawed it off.
1: <laughs> well, that's, so I think that makes sense. That's right.
0: Jeremiah fifty-two seventeen, and then, again, we're going to skip ahead to 21 through 22, says... And the pillars of brass that were in the house of Yahweh and the bases and the brazen sea that were in the house of Yahweh did the Chaldeans break in pieces and carried all the brass of them to Bavel. Now remember, the pillars themselves are made of brass. So they broke everything down. means they broke the pillars. And as for the pillars, the height of the one pillar was 18 cubits and a line of 12 cubits did compass it and the thickness thereof was, was four fingers it was hollow and a capital of brass was upon it and the height of the one capital was five cubits now they're five again what happened so we're going to see solomon married into egypt's royal family for their sand hydraulic technology he names the pillars jachin and boaz or as we saw before again that's that's what it looks like in english yaqin and boaz referring to an established fixed place or a base and strength or force these are two of the three parts required for a lever system the only thing missing is the bar what happened and they have found this i'm not they're not just guessing they have dug down and discovered this to be true. They found out that Solomon created a sand hydraulic elevator and it was used to hide the Ark of the Covenant should Jerusalem ever be in danger of being destroyed. That elevator was used 500 years later by Jeremiah to hide the Ark from the Babylonians that were sieging them, that they knew they'd be taken so they activated it. The hollow pillars were filled with sand inside them and a rod in the center. Now I say a rod, it wasn't like a metal rod. They, I mean, it was a, you know, they had other stone pieces in there, something it was. But, but basically think of a, a rod that when they released the sand that was holding these capitals up, there was nothing, there was not enough weight to hold these capitals up. So they sunk and they pushed the rod down That pressed down on a bar that raised an underground elevator up into the Holy of Holies where the Ark resided. They then placed the Ark in, released the sand from the other pillar, which activated the system, lowering the Ark back into the underground tunnels of Solomon's quarry. And so, both capitals on top of the pillar, after use, had sunk down into the pillars and two cubits were couldn't be seen. They were inside the pillars. Once the pillars were broken down, the full height was revealed once more.
1: Absolutely amazing. It is and it, the
0: whole story.
1: And the evidence is right there. Where They're not just making this up. You can go research this yourself mm-hmm. to look at your Bible. Evidence is right there that something happened. And it's just amazing that the Ark of the Covenant is not mentioned you know, from this point on. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hidden. They've done their job.
0: It, it's, it's just mind blowing. And yeah, and that's another thing it's, and it, and it talks to me about like revelation and other aspects that we're looking into today. All of these things are in the Bible, but we don't necessarily see them or understand them until something comes to light. Until the event happens or or whatever happens and we go, it was always there. We didn't get it. Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, and then it makes you go, how many times have I read scripture scripture and I've gone, oh, this isn't important. I don't care how many cubits wide this is or what, Uh you know. But (laughs) right in there, if it's in there, it's important. I just may not understand in that moment. But if it's in there, it
0: is important. Now, something else I want to talk about here is the fact that some people have asked me, you know, it's like, well, why does this matter? Why does Jesus' blood being on the physical Ark of the Covenant matter when it was only a representation? It, you know, uh, it, it wasn't the Ark of the Covenant. It was the Ark of the Covenant on earth. It, it was, again, like we've talked about, it was a physical representation of spiritual truth. Well, you know what? That's exactly why it matters, because it is a physical representation of spiritual truth. If this hadn't happened, then the physical symbol that we were seeing that points towards spiritual truth wouldn't have happened either. Remember what we've talked about. God is perfect. He does everything the same way in the physical that he does in the spiritual to give us that picture. If God hadn't done this in the physical, then that would be a sign that in the spiritual it hadn't happened. You see, if the lamb that was to be slain for the blood of the nation, it they searched it. They searched it for any blemishes, for any signs of imperfection. And if it was found to be imperfect in any way, it was still killed. But its blood was not allowed to go on the altar. Its blood was cast along the ground and people trampled it. If Jesus's blood, the perfect lamb who was slain for us, if his blood had just sprayed all over the ground to be trampled on by everybody walking by, that was a symbol that he was not the perfect lamb, that he was not worthy to cover our sins. But his blood didn't. His blood was placed on the Ark of the Covenant. God knew what he was doing, and it was difficult for us to see it, but he had it perfectly in place. So when this revelation came to light, we would have the ability to go, oh, it, it, there's another piece of evidence talking about the perfection of God. We can see him more clearly with each piece that continues to mount. And I hope that this, for those of you who hadn't already heard this story, I hope that this is just an awesome, overwhelming piece of evidence that will help solidify your faith.
1: And I hope that you'll go check out the source that we got this from, uh because the visual is really impactful, yeah, when you can actually see the diagrams and how the whole mechanism worked and everything like that totally worth it. please go check it out.
0: In fact, it's one of the reasons I haven't talked about it up to this point because I can only give it lip service. It's like you know this whole thing that I told you right here uh this is it, this feels so hollow to me. Yeah, please. Like Brad said, go check it out. It's amazing. Get the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up there. Unless, is there anything about this whole story that Brad you feel? Because I skipped a lot uh, of the whole thing for time's sake. And 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 again, I'm just I'm. I it's it's the this story comes from other witnesses. Other people told it. I'm just kind of sharing with you our listeners about this story, but but I'm not the one telling the story. I'm not the originator. Uh, so I kind of skipped around. Uh, Brad, is there anything that you think I missed that, no, this should be told right now? Don't miss this part.
1: Well, you left out the Nazis, and you left out the, <laughs> the the fact that the Ark was found, and it's in a government facility somewhere in a box. I mean, you left out all that stuff. But other than that, I think you did a great job.
0: Oh, all right. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, no, I I really appreciate this. I. This will never get old to me, but this is something that I've looked at myself several times now cuz it's fascinating to me. But it's just once again, I got the goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah. And it just goes to show, you know, we think of ancient people as being stupid and they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually think we're getting dumber as we go. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh no, these were these were very smart. Uh, capable individuals that they had a passion and a love for their God and they wanted to do what they could to protect their God in this case, the Ark. And so you see that here, you see alliances had to be made. I mean, the importance of it, the importance of trying to protect their God and to give him glory and honor. I just think that's all really, really just cool. Yeah, And, uh, you know, we can still do that today, still give as much glory and honor as we can um, by doing exactly this, talking about it, researching it, figuring out and appreciating just how awesome and cool it is.
0: All right. How awesome and cool it is. Awesome. Great words to end this on. So, as always, I am Scott.
1: And I'm Brad. And this is is not about us.